As our readings take us further into the Sermon on the Mount and look at these passages around salt, light and righteousness, when we are in familiar territory. These are passages that I'm sure that you have heard before and reflected upon. As we do so, the challenge is not so much to unpack just what do they mean. It's not so much a challenge of interpretation. I think we can find those core elements quite readily. The greater challenge is how can we live them out? What does this look like in real terms? We have three core images woven together. Salt, light and righteousness. The righteousness part of it is probably the more challenging one from an interpretive point of view and one in which uh, we work through just what does that look like and we'll come to that at the end. But salt, light and righteousness. The first two are you are statements. You are salt of the world. You are salt is a reality that in the ancient world was um, a vital element for the preservative of food. Living in a world without refrigeration, without easy access to cool rooms, which was very rare and kept only for those who had the, the, uh, the palaces and the capacity, food was literally from one day to the next. When you pray, give us our daily bread, it was because you couldn't tuck it away safely and to be able to do your weekly shopping order or fortnightly shopping order and put it in a pantry and have a fair reliance that you could stock up. Food preservation was a, uh, an ongoing concern. Still is today to a certain degree. But it's worth asking the question around how can salt lose its saltiness? Now I'm... Uh, I read that apparently salt is salt. It's either salt or it's not. You can't have something that's half salt. Um, so you lose your saltiness by two main things. Either it's diluted so much that it's becomes it's uh, so weak that it's barely got any uh, influence in terms of it's being diluted, or it's corrupted by something. Something gets added to it, and that's probably the element that Jesus is also warning against. So salt is a uh, <coughs> time-honoured form of preservative. And uh, in ancient days, you know, salt, beef and others was a, a core part of being able to preserve, preserve food for sailing journeys and things required a longer journey. And uh, even today, salt is still used to preserve fish and others potentially until it can be... Uh, cleansed and frozen and otherwise. <coughs> salt also has the capacity to enhance, to bring out flavour, to highlight what is, what is good. So when used appropriately, salt can sort of add flavour, um, but if you overdo it, then it becomes uh, so strong. So salt as a preservative is not a hard notion to, at an interpretive level, to say that's what Jesus is talking about. The challenge, I believe, is what might that look like? So if I have the phrase, you are to, to be uh, salt of the earth, 
we, I imagine, nod our heads and saying, yes, we know that. What would that look like in a very down-to-earth way? So let me push it beyond a rhetorical question. Ask you, what does it mean for us to be salt of the earth? That's where I got to about Thursday in my preparation. I thought, what a good question. What does it actually mean for us to be salty? And it doesn't mean to be sort of uh, the salty personalities that sometimes it's caricatured as. I think there's two elements to it that uh, we could reflect on. First of all, for salt to be an effective uh, preservative, it needs not to be corrupted. And that's partly not to be so watered down that it's, it's minimal, but also it is not to allow other things to be mixed in with it. If we do allow some sand or some dirt or fluff or whatever else to get into the salt that we may have on a bench, I suspect very few of us, in fact, I suspect none of us will get a pair of tweezers out and try and pick each item of dirt out of the salt to try and retrieve it. What would you do? No, it's written off. Toss it away. That's what Jesus says. So we need to be aware of those things that can um, corrupt that preservative quality. And I'm not going to focus on it overly, but there are elements in which negativity, are elements in which self-interest can corrupt it, and there are elements in which... um, biting comments and uh, having a go at people or retaining grievances, that can cause corruption to our preservative quality. But I want to focus more on the positive side of it, of how we can actually live out being people of salt in the world around us. I came across this quote. I'm not sure who came up with it. It wasn't attributed to anyone, but I like the quote. Today will never come again. True. So be a blessing. Be a friend. Encourage someone. Take time to care. Let your words heal and not wound. Because that is to be salty. That is to be a preservative. Fundamentally, to be the salt of the world, of the earth is to <clears throat> be a preservative in relationships. It's how we relate to one another that Jesus then goes on to unpack in the Sermon on the Mount. How we deal with grievances and lack of forgiveness and uh, people who have failed us and all sorts of other issues. The answer is there in front of us in the Sermon on the Mount. But I wanted to focus that in terms of where we are at St Matthew's at this stage in our journey as well. And you would see from the front page of the uh, the welcome sheet that I'm going to be using a different C word for each month as a theme for us to focus on. And the C word that I've taken a captain's pick and just declared for uh, this month in February is community. Church as community is something that is absolutely integral to our life as a church. 
having time to invest in relationships, to be there for one another, to be supportive, to be encouragers. And it takes an intentionality for those friendships to settle. We can only go so far perhaps as opening up conversations when we gather for worship, whether on a Sunday or a Wednesday. But it is to, to be available to encourage one another, to uh, persevere by way of um, having time to get, know, to get to know people's stories, to get to know people's hobbies, their interests, their passions, their concerns. So there's different ways in which we can do that. And one is just a general healthy practice for neighbourhoods. To gather together, to have moments in which maybe share a common interest, maybe make a time to, uh, to meet up in a park and go for a walk. Maybe it's to share in a, a project like a community garden or um, just to sit down and have a cup of coffee together or a glass of wine. That actually makes a difference. One of the things that really... Um, was <clears throat> quite a learning for people, I think, through the time of the COVID uh, restrictions. We had it to a significant degree in South Australia. Those in Melbourne had it to a greater degree. And overseas and places, cities in the UK, we had it for 10, 12 months. They realised that when we didn't have that ability to gather and to mix, it was actually quite oppressive. And people felt um, depressed and down and lacking in encouragement and alone and all that comes with that. So as we re-emerge into the learnings from it, ensuring that in the midst of our busyness we have time for friendships to form and develop is good and valuable. That's why we are setting ourselves the goal of, of having a number of uh, small group activities throughout the week for those who are able to come. And the potential is limitless. We could have some movie groups. We could have some theatre groups. We could have many other forms. The point is to have time for people, to get to know people. But today in particular, I want to focus also on the value of home groups. We have a number of home groups. We could have more home groups, and you'll see in the notices that that's where we're up to. But home groups have a whole mix of different aspects to it and some can focus on different elements. Home groups and small groups all have that value. Times to connect up, to share with one another what our day has been like, what our week has been like, and to grow together by encouragement and just by being listening and to be supportive. To be the salt in relationships is to be a preservative of those relationships having time to, to meet up. And uh, when it comes to small groups, as I say, it would be more about this briefly in the notices, but we have a number of small groups. Um, we've got at least one small group um, starting at other opportunities. I really want to urge people to think about how we can just have time to, to grow in friendship and uh, uh, to do so in each other's company. So that's the way in which uh, being a preservative at a level of relationships can make a big difference. When we come to light and darkness, 
my desire to have a graphic for darkness was challenged because darkness actually is the absence of any light. And the absence of any light, you can't see anything. So I could do one of those really profound contemporary paintings, you know, that a totally black piece. I'm not sure whether they hang it up in the, in the galleries or not. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at those black paintings and I think, I reckon I could do that one. <laughs> so the best I could come up with is the darkness with this, the moon just hovering behind the clouds. But we do know the experience, don't we? But not nearly as much as people in the ancient world. Because to have uh, the darkness in the ancient world without our ability to turn lights on has a much greater impact on our daily routines. If we've been for an experience of a, of a complete blackout, you know how everything is impacted by it. That just to be able to find things that you want to have near at hand and to look and see what's out there, to navigate your way through a path or through a journey is so much more challenging. That, again, was the day-to-day -day reality of Jesus' own audience. So they knew that when he's talking about being a light, just how valuable light is through a little lamp as people would carry them around. And that would be a way of which you could uh, find your way but also be identified if you're carrying a lamp. You could be seen. And lamps could also guide people towards an entry point. So you have lamps that would come up towards a gate, towards a pathway and be a way of welcoming people in, but also enable those there to see you. So again, there's a very practical process of illumination that comes from light. So where Jesus says, you are light of the world, it's a sense of being of a service. It actually enables um, people to do more, to find some security, some assurance. Again, Jesus has a, a uh, sort of whimsical reflection that talks about when people light a lamp, you wouldn't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Partly because you'd just extinguish the lamp, but also what's the point if you're going to light a lamp and then cover it up totally? You need to remember that Jesus is the ultimate light. Jesus in John's Gospel is recorded as saying, I am the light of the world. So when we put that bowl over the lamp, the light that we have been entrusted with, it can come in the form of our putting a cover over the reality of Jesus in our lives. People don't see Jesus in us. And that same sense of what, how foolish could that be if we're holding it just down just to a, a small number or just to ourselves. The light is there to, to, to attract and to welcome others into it. There is an illusion behind this with Jesus is that uh, the phrase you are the light of the world was used in the Old Testament in Isaiah 49. The prophet Isaiah said that the Lord has told him that it isn't just to have a, a small people, a tribe of Judah and so on, that this gathering of a people, this tribe, are to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, to attract and welcome the whole world, all peoples, are to be drawn to it. So Jesus, as he gathers this movement of followers on the Sermon on the Mount, says, and you are also stepping into that calling that Israel was called to do and did not fulfill particularly well. 
So it is that missional calling. And to be a town built on a hall, the word is actually on a hill. Uh, the word is a city as well, a city upon a hill. And there's an echo there that there was the holy city built on the hill of Jerusalem. And we might even recall that in the uh, second last book of the Bible, in sorry, second last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, has that image of the heavenly Jerusalem coming down. And there'll be no need of lamps because it'll be so covered by the light that it is fulfilled that, that wholeness. So there's a, a big picture sense of this calling to be light as well. But how do we so show that? Notice the wording that Jesus uses here. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light is to be an action, not just through words, not just through a beaming face or sentiment. It is to be seen in the works that we do, how we roll up our sleeves and seek to support and to serve and encourage one another. What does our community need? Well, we need people who can provide food and people who can provide shelter and people who can go about all the various tasks that our community needs. That all helps to preserve our community. And as a church, as God's people, we should be at the forefront of seeking to serve and to be mindful of how we can provide shelter, how we can provide sanctuary, we can provide a safe place. Righteousness, when Jesus talks about it in Matthew's Gospel, is something that is done. It's a doing quality. So we come to the third theme. We've looked at uh, salt and light and now we come to the righteousness. And here Jesus raises the question, does that mean that we don't have to worry about the Old Testament law? We can set it aside. And Jesus said, absolutely not. Even the slightest stroke, if it comes from God, we are to obey it. And he brings this discussion to a focus in the last verse that we had. Unless your righteousness, that doing what is right and what is good and choosing and relating rightly, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that is a seriously high bar. <laughs> if the crowd would have heard that and thought, what? If anyone in our community is able to... Uh, exemplify what it means to take the law seriously and to live it rightly it is the scribes and the pharisees how can we match that and here we need to remember the old testament readings that we had the readings from isaiah the readings from the, the psalms time and again we see in the old testament just what jesus is talking about righteousness is the desire to do what is right. We should aspire to live rightly before God, which means to live rightly with our neighbour, to make good and right choices, and it will trouble us if we don't. 
Jesus is not so much putting a performance test out there, but he's certainly putting a test of our heart. If we take complacency, if we are just lukewarm, or if it's a bit of give and take of, I like this part of Jesus' teaching, not so sure about that part, then Jesus says, no, you're missing the whole point. For what is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is the reign, it is the the gathering of people who say, yes, the king is right. The king is worthy of our loyalty, our devotion, our obedience. To be in the kingdom of heaven is to say yes to God's wisdom and God's way. And that's why Jesus highlights it. Of course you can't say, yes, I want to follow the kingdom of heaven, but I'm going to go and do my own thing over there. That would be absurd. How we can encourage that desire, how we can explore it and seek God's wisdom in it, is a communal activity we do together. So as I said, the challenge isn't so much at an interpretive level. The challenge is more, how how can I hear this? What might it look like today in the various people I encounter? How we gather together over morning tea, how we explore what it means to be part of a church community. St Matthew's has been a church on this site for 175 years, give or take a month or two. And we have been a church and we are now part of a church that has sought in God's grace to be salt and to be light and to take living rightly before God seriously. Let our celebration of that this year be a renewal of our commitment to live it out. You know, I'm going to be teaching a course in contemporary mission and evangelism at Savannah's College. Others are welcome to sit in on those classes. One of the biggest challenges we have as a church is our lack of credibility. The church is renowned for how quick we are to speak. I suspect we're not so renowned for how quick we are to roll up our sleeves and to show by our actions what our teaching, what our words ought to look like. We do do it, but we all know we could do it more. Let us redouble our resolve, our commitment, our willingness to be a preservative, to take time to build relationships and friendships and communities, to be encouragers, to ask questions of how people are going and taking interest to sit and listen to answers, to follow through on friendships and people we may have lost contact with and try and do what we can to be a preservative in that space. May God in his grace, through the working of the Spirit, enable us to be and to do just that. Amen.